Christian church, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I'd like to greet everyone and welcome everyone to Strongsville Christian Church. Today's message is Chosen to Change. How many know that we are called and chosen to change? Uh, there's a lot of uh, sayings. By a show of hands, how many ever heard this saying? And it is a very popular and old saying. By a show of hands, how many heard this saying, uh, a leopard can't change its spots and a zebra can't change its uh, stripes? Uh, once a something, always a something. Once a liar, always a liar. Once a cheater, always a cheater. You ever hear these things? You ever hear uh, the, the, uh, folks will say these things all the time? How many of you know that it's not biblical, though? And we have to make sure that we don't repeat popular so even though they're catchy and they sound right. And, you know, once this, always this. And, you know, and a lot of times it may be true in certain circumstances, but it does not hold the greatest truth, which is the word of God. Amen. The Bible talks about us changing and not only us changing, but that God actually chose us to change. And this message is going to come from a multi-layer facet. Um, not only does God choose to change us, but he chooses us to use us to change the atmosphere around us. Amen. So I'm going to come from that different uh, angle um, that we are chosen to change. Amen. And God has chosen us to change. Amen. And so uh, I, I, I heard someone say um, a lot of times that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right. What does that mean that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? Basically, that's saying if a person's mom and dad acts a certain way that automatically the children are going to act a certain way. And a lot of times, again, in the flesh and in the natural, that could and would be true had it not be for God. Amen. God is able to break traditions. God is able to break curses. He is able to break spirits, addictions, uh, and even change our flesh. Amen. So this is what I want to share with you today is chosen to change. Our change is not a religious legalistic work salvation. Amen. There are some uh, denominations, some religions where their change uh, comes from an atmosphere of rules, legalism, rituals, and I would say to give that a little bit of credit to play devil's advocate, I think that there can be some legitimate changes that take place in uh, a legalistic environment or a ritualistic environment or a um, religious setting. There are some changes, but it's usually just temporary changes. See, where God changes, he changes from demonstration of love and power. Amen. And they are two totally different things. Amen. In other words, if you could go to a church where they're very legalistic, they're ritualistic, they're all about jumping through hoops and uh, it's all about doing all these uh, legalistic uh, 
uh, methods to get to God. I believe if you go under that, when you're under that setting, you will change for that moment. But the problem is once you leave that setting, you stay the same. In other words, you could go and do all these rituals, but if your heart doesn't change, you don't change. Whereas then God will penetrate the mind, the heart, and the soul with his love. And the question this is when folks change, why are they changing? Are they changing to fit in? Are they changing out of condemnation? Are they changing um, just because it's popular at that moment? Or are they changing because of the pure intention of their heart? Because the Bible says that the goodness of God leads to repentance. And so I've noticed that there are uh, uh, different programs in psychology, and I witnessed this program while I uh, saw prison uh, uh, counselors and therapists, and these were highly, highly skilled and educated folks that were running the institution of the uh, a prison. And what I saw that they did is they did a program called the TC program and it was called a therapeutic community and I never liked it and I was by the time I was introduced to this program I was already filled with the Holy Spirit I was already filled with the word of God the love of God and the anointing and God was working on me at this time and the moment I saw this I flipped through the book and it just did not resonate with my spirit. And they had an approach called the hostility approach. And in the hostility approach, raise your hand if you're, you even know that this happens. Raise your hand if you are even aware that they're doing this in the prisons. Right? And so this is their attempt to rehabilitate the inmates. And what they do is, and again, this is a voluntary program. It's not by force. You choose to be in this program. And if you choose to be in this program, you have to follow by their rules. And one of their methods was called the hot seat. And what they would do is they would sit an inmate in the middle and they would surround them by a, a circle of inmates and they would use the hostility approach, which means they would scream at them. They would cuss at them, curse at them, belittle them, and they would scream at the top of their lungs, belittling them until the person in the middle would break down. And that was their goal. If they couldn't hit them with the soft approach, look, this, I'm, this is what this, they're still doing this. They're still doing it. Again, they're not forcing the inmates to do it. It's a choice. If you choose to be in that TC program, you might get out of prison early. You might get some uh, extra freedoms or luxuries in the prison had you have not joined this program. And so what they'll do is they'll scream at this person. And I watched it. Man, it looked like a cult. And I was thinking to myself, what in the world are these people doing? And, and, and here I was, I'm like, I didn't, they were always trying to recruit me to join this program. I'm like, I, I'm, I got God. Amen. I got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit changed me. But here's the thing. In certain religions or churches, they might not put people in the hot seat in the natural, but in their false doctrines and their false teachings, they will put someone in the hot, the, the hot seat and they will be either passively aggressive towards that person. 
You know, and I, I saw people do this to me. And, and I remember I had my home church that I was faithful at, and I visited another church and they attacked me for missing a service. They're like, where were you? How come you weren't in church? Where, where, where? And, and, and I looked at them. I said, I'm a deacon at another church. I'm here to visit. And they were attacking me, persecuting me. They put me in the hot seat. See, this is what I learned. In this program, there was never a real change. It was a suit. You guys know the word pseudo? If I say the word pseudo, pseudo just means fake. It's not real. There was a pseudo change. Amen. It was a, it was a temporary, fictitious, fake change on the surface. And, and these folks legitimate, the deception is this, is that as long as they remained in the, that condition, that circumstance, that community, there was a real change. I mean, no doubt about it. There was a real change, but it was only a change on the surface. And the problem was every single one of them, the moment they left that community, they went back to their old ways and they went back to prison. And so that showed me that it was fake. Good attempt, good effort. You did the best that you could outside of the word of God. But true change only takes place in the word of God. Amen. And it is a simple demonstration of the power of God. Amen. And folks, I want to tell you this, not out of condemnation, but out of love. God can change us. Amen. He can change us. And I've experienced his change. I've experienced the power of God and his love to change me in a lot of different ways. Amen. But the question is this, is that are we going to humble ourselves to stay and position ourselves to the place and the word and the prompting of the Holy Spirit so that we allow the change to take place. Because sometimes change takes patience. And it takes faith that it can happen. And it will happen. Our change is not a religious, legalistic work salvation but demonstration of the love and power of God. Now, there are some doctrines of demons that are very, very popular, and they will say things that are not Scripture. And what they'll say is they'll say, well, we're all sinning. Well, you, you have to sin. We all sin. You have to sin. We, we either sin in mind and thought and deed. How many ever heard these things? We, we either sin in mind, thought, and deed, and we're just constantly in a state of sinning, right? Well, there's a scripture that can appear like they're biblical, but, but it's twisting it. The Bible says, he without sin cast the first stone, amen? It also says, if a man say that he have not sinned, he is a liar, but that's talking about before we are saved. Amen. That's talking about before you are under the blood, before you get filled with the Holy Spirit, before you are converted. And I'm going to show you biblically, there is a huge difference. And a lot of times, unfortunately, there are hired help in the pulpit 
telling people, giving them a license to live any way they want, never telling them that they can change because they themselves have never experienced the love and the power of God for them to change. And if they haven't experienced the change of God in their life, how in the world can they encourage other folks that they can change too? The Bible says this, Be ye holy, as I am holy. The Bible also says, without holiness, no man will see God. And folks, man, that is not a popular message in today's time. Folks right now, they want to live worse than the devil and be made and taught in God's house to be congratulated for it. Now, I don't want you to tolerate it. I don't want you to accept it. I want you to support it. I want you to encourage my wickedness and tell me God loves me. And no, I don't want to stop there. Tell me that God loves me to sin. You see, that's not chosen to change. Let's look at what the scripture says. Again, this message is to encourage that God will change us. He will change us and he will change us in a lot of different ways. And I'm telling you, by the time you get done with the love of God and the power of God, you will look in the mirror and you'll say, who am I? Because I'm telling you, I've experienced so many changes uh, both before being a Christian and after a Christian. There are folks, and, and, and I'm not a prophet, but I know what, what's going on. I know that there are folks that they have legitimate struggles. And they think because they have those legitimate struggles that they will always have that struggle. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I don't care what you're struggling. And there may be some sin that folks love right now. Right. And I don't need to go through the list, the checklist. There are some sins that folks love right now. But I'm telling you what, just because you love them right now does not mean you always will. See, God has a way. There are folks that maybe they like to drink alcohol. OK, and I'm not here to condemn drinking alcohol, but whatever the reason you might like to drink alcohol. OK, that's fine. But but that doesn't mean that you always will. And let me explain that, right? There are folks that like to do certain things because they have not suffered certain consequences, but because they have not suffered certain consequences does not mean they never will. In other words, the thing that you love to do right now doesn't mean you always will. You, you could enjoy, you could enjoy a, an alcoholic beverage, right? And that's fine. Listen to what I'm saying here. That's fine, but that's because you have not had your alcoholic beverage and killed a little innocent kid on the road yet. And when you, God forbid, God, but this happens. I've done prison ministry for 18 years. Don't think I have not came across well-meaning good people who get the mandatory minimum of five years prison for involuntarily vehicular homicide because they, had, they saw no wrong with that one beverage, and that one beverage caused them to kill a child, right? Now, all of a sudden, they are chosen to change. That one thing that they didn't see no harm in, now, son, it's the devil. Well, that alcohol did not change. 
your perception to it changed. You see, and this is how life is. And again, I'm not saying this out of condemnation. I'm just saying that God knows how to uh, uh, change our perceptions. He allows certain things to happen. And I'm not that that was a wild extreme, but it happens. That's just one example. And I can go on and on, but I have to move forward because this is just one point. Amen. And I've even saw folks that have these um, doctrines of devils and these false teachings of uh, of religion and misinterprets of the Bible and misrepresent. I've even I've watched people that they were hardcore. And then being around some other folks that were well-balanced in the Word of God, I watched them change their opinions. We, we are subject to change. We really are. I, that's why you never give up on somebody. Amen. Never give up on somebody. Amen? I want to I beat it one more time, folks, the dead horse. Our change is not a religious, legalistic works salvation but demonstration of the love and power of God. In other words, there is no holiness. There is no righteousness. There is no good deed that we can do to earn our salvation. God did it. We can't do it. But here's the thing. After our salvation, after our salvation, there is a touch from God. There is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There is a flowing of the anointing of God that compels us, that motivates us, that flows from us, that we want to live holy, not even because we have to, but because we want to. There is a desire within our heart where we just know how good God has been. It compels us to want to please him. You see, when you're in love, not in lust, Amen. When you're in love and you find that true love that God has appointed unto you, your soulmate, if you will. You don't do things for them because you feel like they're going to beat you up if you don't. You do things for them because you want you have to do things. You know, on Valentine's Day and anniversaries and all that stuff, you don't have to get your wife chocolate and flowers. It ain't like you're going to get arrested, right? But you want to do it. Now, I'm going to be transparent. You know, I've been, and this is not an excuse. I'm just being honest with you good folks. There was a time when Valentine's came around just recently, and I didn't get my wife anything. I didn't get her no chocolate, no flowers, no. And we're both busy. We were with each other the whole time, right? And we were so busy. And my wife started acting a certain way. And I'm like, man, I, I, why do I, why, I cannot take my wife for granted. It's not right. I don't care if we've been together with a happy marriage for eight years. I cannot take her for granted. I need to love her today, if not more. If anything, I owe her more. Hear that, folks. If anything, I owe her more now 
than when we first met. Again, she'd love me and she'd be fine if I didn't do it. So I escaped. She was in the bedroom and I secretly hit the garage door and escaped and went to a place, found the biggest teddy bear that I could find, got some flowers and some chocolate, secretly came back, tried to play it off like I had it all along. <laughs> like it was just waiting there. And I was just waiting for the proper time. And then I presented it to her and she tried to pretend like she didn't care. Folks, the longer we're with God, the longer we have the knowledge of salvation and the longer we have the knowledge of the word of God, should we not grow more towards God? Should we stay babes in Christ the rest of our life? Should we not grow? I'm not saying don't be patient for the process, but I'm saying there is a progression in our walk with God. Now, here's the kicker. The devil will condemn you that if you're not making miracles 24-7 and you don't have perfect walking on water holiness, that you aren't of God. That's not true. That's not true. This walk with God is a lifetime journey. Amen. It is a lifetime journey. And it goes into an eternal journey. I really believe that even after we die and we go to heaven, that God will still be working. I will still be going from glory to glory. See, a lot of times we think that it, because certain things are a certain way, that it will always be that way. I promise you it won't. It won't. Sometimes change takes place. Hear this, folks. Sometimes change takes place when the pain to stay the same is greater than the pain to change. I'm not saying that's always the case. Sometimes that is the case where, where folks, they hit a rock bar bottom and they just know that they can't continue. And that was me. That was my walk with God. I knew that if I kept going in the direction that I was going, it wasn't going to end well for me. I knew I couldn't. I had to change. And my change was more palpable or more noticeable because of how how far gone I was initially or how far I started. Amen. I had a little bit farther to go than you good folks. And so it was more noticeable. Amen. John 15, 16, it says, you or ye have not chosen me. Ain't that something? God said, you did not choose God. You being here right now was a choice, but God is saying, I chose you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your, your fruit should remain, that whosoever or whatsoever you shall ask in the Father in my name, he may give it you, 
These things I command you that you love one another. See, the fact of our love flowing from us is evidence that God has chosen us to change, that we will love folks in ways that we would normally hate them. We would love them in ways that we would normally show unforgiveness. There is a demonstration of the power of God that we cannot give what we do not receive, but when we receive the love and the power of God, that is what flows out of us. In fact, the fact that we are loving towards one another, that's a demonstration that we have been in the presence of God, not in the presence of legalism, religion, but in the presence of a holy God. The enemy's job is to convince us that we will never change or others will never change. That's the enemy's job, is to tell you that you will never change and that people you know will never change. I promise you, I promise you folks, if you would have had the pleasure of meeting me before I was a pastor, if you only could have ran into me in 2001, how many of you know I used to have a gold tooth? By show of hands. A gold tooth in the front of my mouth. If you only could have met me when I had my gold tooth, I promise you would have said, man, that guy is going to bust hell <laughs> wide open. He was going to do a cannonball splash in the lake of fire, possibly a swan dive. But you see, God chooses us to change. He chooses people that society would have said, no way. It was such a wild change. And I've told this story that one of my closest friends, mom, when she came to our first church, which was in Old Brooklyn off of Pearl Road on Spokane storefront, when she said, who is the pastor of this church? And I said, it is I. And she said, what's your name? And when I told her my full name, she literally grabbed her heart and actually almost fainted and fell back. And she said, no. <laughs> I, this is a true story. And see, God will choose people to change 
that would never change without the intervention of God's hand on their life. He will choose them to change, to change them and use them to change other people. And when I say change other people, I don't mean lock them up in a basement and chain them up. I'm saying to persuade them. This is the only authority I have by God is to persuade you. But I have to persuade you not with enticing words of flattery, not with words of worldly, carnal, natural wisdom. I am restricted to persuade you within the boundaries and the guidelines of the word of God. And that is my goal is to persuade you to the word of God. Amen. And it is your free will to either receive the words that are coming out of my mouth or to reject them or to receive a few and reject a few. It's your choice. But the enemy's job is to convince us that we will never change or others will never change. And folks, every one of us has a family member in our life that we think will never come to church. We all have that one person. We think, man, there's hope for the devil, but not this family member. I could likely see the devil coming in church and getting right before I see this person. Why? Because you know them after the flesh. But you see, God knows their soul in ways that are hidden. He knows their potential in ways that are hidden. And I would tell you that there are some things about yourself that you might believe that they have been habits for so long that you might think that you will never change or that you can't break this certain thing or this certain issue. You might think it's been with you for so long that it'll always be with that way. And I'll come to warn you that God is a God that changes. I'm not saying God changes. I'm saying he changes things. He changes souls. He changes people. The Bible says, I am the Lord God. I change not. But that don't mean he don't produce change. He took a empty void that was without anything and he changed that void and created light. He took a earth that was out without water and produced the oceans and the rivers and the lakes. He took a place that was without vegetation and created the sweetest tomatoes. He took trees and made mango steens. He took something out of nothing. Only the power and the love of God can do that. How much more can he take a person who has struggles and problems and change them? Amen? Amen. Can I talk to you today about chosen Amen. to change? Ezekiel 36, 26. And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart 
out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, who is doing that? Is man doing that? Or is God doing that? This is the hand of God. This is the power of God. This is the Spirit of God. This is a holy God. That He comes into our life and He changes us. And it's amazing. Our change in Christ is a never-ending process. You understand that, folks? Our change in God, this is why Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Why do we need daily bread? Because we are entering into a never-ending process. There are some folks that will backslide. There are some folks that will grow. It is a never-ending process of learning of growing and changing. You see, the seasons all around us, it's easy for us to believe that just because there's snow on the ground one time, we don't believe that that snow will always be there unless we're on Antarctica or somewhere and where we see polar bears walking around. But in general, in Strongsville, we see the snow on the grass and we're not like, oh, once snow, always snow. There's always going to be snow on there. We know that spring is around the corner. We know that there might not be vegetation flourishing but we know that it's coming. If we have the faith and the knowledge to understand that natural changes is part of the cycle of life, how much more should we not understand that our soul, our relationship with God is also a changing, a never-ending changing process? Now, the devil would have you to stay on the two extremes, and those two extremes of erroneous thinking is this, is that your change can take place with no help from God. You're going to change yourself. You don't need the pastor. You don't need the church. You don't need a preacher. You don't need God. You'll just do it all myself and myself. I'll do it on my own. I'm a man. You don't tell me. I don't need church. I don't need no pastor. I know everything. Let me do it. <laughs> and to that person, I would say, good luck with that. <laughs> and the other extreme is, I want deliverance ministry. I want to put it all on the pastor. I want to put it all on God. I have no role, no responsibility, no participation on any level, in any aspect of any change, in any way. I want uh, T.D. Jakes. I want Benny Hinn. I want the most anointed pastor to lay his pinky on me. Boom, anoint me with oil. Ah, it's a miracle. I'm good. I don't have to go to church ever again. I don't have to pray and fast. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to pick up my cross and follow and deny myself. I don't have to live holy. I can do whatever I want because the man of God and a deliverance, he rolled around on the floor, spoke in tongues, smacked me with oil and cast out the devil out of me and I'm good. And you can find to the T. All those details in Second Opinions, <laughs> chapter 2, verses 13. But nowhere in the 66 books in the Bible. 
Can you see where the devil wants us? I don't need God to change. I'll do it on my own. Or, God, I want you to do everything. I want you to do all. Take over my free will. <laughs> Take over. Possess me with your Holy Spirit. Force me. Is it possible that we need the help from God and the people of God while combining our due diligence where the Bible says faith without works is dead? Amen. Pastor, that's a work salvation. We're past salvation. <laughs> we're past salvation. We were already saved. Now we're moving into growth. Amen. We're moving into change. Because there are some folks, and don't get it twisted, who again, they've never tasted the holiness of God. They've never tasted the transformation of God. And they will connect growth with God, with salvation of God. Our change in Christ is a never-ending process that requires a level of participation. Well, pastor, what participation do we want to do so that we change? Well, one level of participation is waking up early and coming to church. So just by your presence here, your presence be here, you chose to come here. That God did not force you. He didn't take you up in a chariot of fire and dropped you off in the house of God. I know a lot of folks, man, if they could get God and boss him around, they would make God, if I'm going to church, if you want me to go to church, God, you pick me up with a chariot of fire like you did for Elijah and escort me where I don't have to pay the high price of gas prices and escort me and drop me off at Strongsville Christian Church. If you don't do that, I ain't coming. <laughs> but then when it comes time to hit up that haagen Mickey D's, Ponderosa, Applebee's. God, I don't need your help. I'll find a way to get there. <laughs> if I got to walk, I'm going to get that steak. You see, there is a level of participation on our part. Let the church say. Amen. What, what other level of participation you know, if you really want to get free, God has uh, blessed us with prayer and fasting. Push back the plate and, and, and fast, and you'll find that that is your level of participation. If you're struggling with some spirits, some demons that are taking away your peace, your joy, your freedom, you're struggling with certain things, fast and pray, and you will see another level of power and love from God, and you'll see another level of change. You'll see another level of growth. But that is your choice. 
to participate in those things. Cracking open your Bible, amen? Your Bible ought not to be dusty where you could write, wash me on the front cover. Amen? Amen. How many of you got your Bibles here? Amen. Just, this is just the inventory. Ra raise your Bible. I'm just curious. How many got their Bibles in the house? Amen. Raise it high. Okay. <laughs> Folks, I'm old school. I know we got the Bible up here, and I'm not saying this to beat you down, but I'm just saying I'm old school. I encourage you to shamelessly purchase the most obnoxious biggest Bible you can find. If you need a wheelbarrow to carry that thing, that's what I'm looking for. And take that Bible and bring it into God's house. Let, the, let your neighbor see you carrying that big old Bible. Amen. I understand we got the Bible. I'm not saying don't use your, like we got this stuff. But I'm saying I encourage you. Please, for, it'll make me happy. Take your Bible, and like I said, get the most biggest Bible. I want, like, your veins to be popping out when you're carrying that thing. <laughs> Crack open your Bible every day. And I'm not saying, you know, a lot of folks don't go to the gym. You know why a lot of people don't go to the gym? Because they have a delusion that once they go to the gym, they're going to have to spend 10 hours of torture in the gym in order to make a tiny bit of progress. But I used to be a certified personal trainer, and I actually took uh, a college courses in personal training. I almost became a personal trainer, but the Lord led me in a different uh, direction. I know by my uh, belly, you can't tell I used to be into working out, but I really used to be into it. And what I learned is that a lot of folks, that half the battle, if not 90% of the battle, is just walking into the gym. And then if you could even spend just 10 minutes just 10 minutes, get in there, turn the treadmill on, walk a quarter of a mile and walk out and just start with that. Rather than your mind, oh, it's going to be horrible. See, we, the, we, we work up things to be so horrible. And then, we, then what happens is we just don't do nothing. And I think sometimes with the Bible, we could do the same thing. Oh, I'm going to be in the Bible, stuck in prison, religious boundaries, reading my Bible every day for hours, and I can't work. I'm going to be homeless, quit my job, and, you know, my family. No. No, just, just make a, a, an appointment every day when you wake up in the morning. Say, I'm only going to spend two minutes with you, God. If it turns into more, that's okay. But just take two minutes, crack open, the, wipe the dust off that Bible. Like, like LeBron James when he goes under the court and he does the cloud of smoke. We need to do that with our Bible, amen, and knock the dust off of it. <laughs> and just crack it open every day. Take two minutes and read one scripture and then close it. Walk away and meditate on that scripture. I'm going to tell you you're, what's, what's going to happen as you're building up a habit. You're building up a character, a system, and where you're going to start to change. Amen. Amen. Our change in Christ is a never-ending process that requires a level of participation, right? If someone hurts us and does us wrong, it's our participation. It's on us to forgive them. Amen. It's our participation to forgive other people when they do us wrong. Amen. Amen. 
In Romans 12, 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, uh, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Do you understand that? That is our role of participation, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We have to understand this one thing, that our body is ours that we can choose to do whatever we want, but it's really not ours. It is a loner. It gets purchased with a price. This body that we have is actually God's, and we have to make sure we are a st obedient steward with our body. Again, not because of religious oppression and legalism, but because we want to please our loving Father in heaven. And look at what it says, that when you present your bodies a living sacrifice, look at what it says. Holy. You see that word holy? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen. In order for us to change, we need our mind to meditate on the word of God. And when the word of God goes into our mind, it renews our mind. It transforms our mind. We have the mind of Christ. And when we have the mind of Christ, it goes into our heart. And when it goes into our heart, it goes into our choices, which is what our participation towards growth and change. It's a recipe for success. How many when you were a kid, you try to make cookies and you're like, well, I like the sugar, but I don't like eggs. I like the chips, but I don't like flour. And you tried to make cookies according to your own understanding, thinking that you were going to get that delicious chocolate chip cookie by removing the butter and the flour. When I was a kid, I'm like, I don't like these things. I don't see there's no way it's going to make a cookie good. So I chose the ingredients that I wanted. And how many of you know there are some things that at that moment don't taste good, but when you mix it together in the recipe, the outcome is chocolate chip toll house delicious cookies. Amen. How many know God has that perfect recipe to produce change in our life? Amen. Philippians 1.3. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now, being confident of this very thing that he which have begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that is a perpetual state of growth, that as we grow in God, as we stay in God, God is going to keep working on us. Amen. He's going to keep renewing our mind. He's going to keep working on our heart. He's going to keep working on our soul. He's going to keep filling us with his Holy Spirit. And what's going to happen is change. Amen. Change. 
Our past and present shortcomings don't stop God from using us to change the world around us for his glory. See, a lot of times we will count ourselves out. Well, again, and I could see, I could hear the Holy Spirit telling me there's two extremes again. There is the extreme that because we were in a, 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 a disobedience, rebellion, uh, resistance against God, that God won't use us. Or we can feel like because we are doing what God called us to do, we are living the way that God wanted us to do, that in pride and self-righteousness, we feel entitled to be used by God. Our past and present shortcomings don't stop God from using us to change the world around us for his glory. In Exodus 4.10, you see an example. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Do you see Moses trying to count himself out? He did not lack faith. He saw God and spoke to God. He was in the presence of God. He, he felt the spirit of God. And sometimes we too can be in the presence of God. We can be in touch with the spirit of God. We can hear from God. And when we do, it can sometimes rattle us and while we're in the presence of God, the enemy can work on us and tell us all of our shortcomings and why such a holy God would never use someone like ourselves. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my God, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Do you know that whatever excuse, whatever shortcoming, whatever it is where you're lacking, do you know God is not restricted by that? Look at his response to Moses. He didn't say, yeah, that's true. I made a mistake. I thought I was going to choose you. I brought you all the way up here to the mountaintop, but I realized that I was mistaken. Now that I know all your shortcomings, now I have to go find someone else. Imagine if you had said that to Moses. Moses, I was going to use you, but now that you have enlightened me, the creator of all things, the ruler of all things, the most high God, the one who created the earth, that created you. Now that I realize that you're slow in speech, well, my bad. Let me just go find someone else. He didn't do that. He reasoned with him. And you know what he did? He changed his mind. He persuaded Moses to accept the will of God. He didn't force him. He didn't remove, he, he didn't remove his arms and said, well, if you're going to be like that, I'll just take away your arms. He reasoned with him. 
And he changed his mind. And he said, who created the mouth? Look at what he said. He said, who hath made man's mouth? Or who hath maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee, but the hand of him in whom thou wilt send. You see, every time I get up to this pulpit, I, I honor this opportunity with those that God sends. I am privileged to be here, and I thank God for it. But I don't share my opinion. I don't share my agenda. I don't share what I want to happen. I simply share. I go before the Lord. I spend time with God. I go to the mountaintop. I dedicate time with the Lord, and I say, Lord, what will you have me to share with your people? And God told me, chosen to change. And in order for God to use Moses, he had to first change his mind. He had to first change his insecurity. He had to first change his deficiency. And all his excuses did not stop God from using him. God is telling us today that what he's looking for is a willing vessel. And he will do the rest. Our past and present shortcomings don't stop God from using us for tremendous changes. In Acts 9:11, the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas and straight street. That's an interesting street. I live on Straight Street. What street do you live on? Straight Street, not Crooked Street. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, named Saul. For he is praying in a vision and he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And the Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, he knew the track record of Apostle Paul. He thought that because he was so sinful, that because he was going to arrest the Christians, that he was overseeing murders of the children of God, he thought that God would never use him because he knew all too well of this man's past. You see, we have to have an understanding that people's past do not nullify the power of God. People's record, their history does not override 
the change that God can do in their life, both in your life and the life of others. This man thought, surely God was mistaken, not that man. And God said, go do it. He has seen a vision of this happening. In Acts 9.15, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Do you know that God, when he chooses to change us, it's not just so that he could change us. It's not just so that we could be saved. It's not just that God wants to bless us. It's not just that God wants to deliver us. It's not just us to bless just our house and just our family and just our marriage and just our children. We have to get out of that mindset that it's just for us. I know that is the world's mentality that everything that God does, it's just for us. No, he said that I'm going to choose to change him so that he could be used to change many other people. Do you understand that the change that God is working within you, the change that God is doing through you, it's not just for you. It's so that God can send you out and use you as a chosen vessel to create havoc on the enemy's camp, to wreak havoc in the dark places, to change laws and regulations and rules that are anti-Christ spirit and agendas that are sent forth from the gates of hell and God is raising you up for such a time as this because the near coming of the Lord he's going to meet us up into the clouds and the time is running out and when you recognize that the time is running out it will put a fire within your soul that God is raising up chosen vessels chosen to change man I could tell you stories where I have to tread carefully there are times where God has used and he chose just me and I'm not saying this out of pride or to brag but he chose me to change entire government buildings buildings with thousands and thousands of people that were more smarter than me, more connected than me, that had more influence than me. And he would use me to change the entire building. And I can't go into details because there would be consequences. But I know Dick and Frederick knows what I'm talking about. See, a lot of times we think that because of our limitations of finances, our limitations of education, even our limitations to the word of God, our limitations to holiness, our limitations to whatever we think, we handicap the power of God to flow through us. And I got to tell you, once you understand that it's not you, but it's him, and that it's not about just you, it's about the world that God called us to be the light of the world. God called us to be the salt of the earth. God chose us to make a difference. And I'll tell you, everything that you do, everything that you do, it is making a change of those around you. 
I didn't say all that change is good because sometimes the enemy will use us. And just as quick as Peter was used by God, and the, it says, my spirit of my father has revealed this to you, not flesh and blood. Just after that happened, the enemy came and he said, get behind me, Satan. So, so, so I want to tell you that the devil has also chosen you. The enemy has also chosen you because he's threatened by you. He's intimidated by you. He knows that you have a calling on your life. He knows the potential that when you get in the anointing of God, the damage and the havoc that you will reap in his camp. And he's chosen you to make the wrong words, to make the wrong decisions, to slack, to become idle. But someone say, devil... Not today. Not today. Not today. Go. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer from my name. You see, sometimes in order for us to make change, we have to be willing to suffer. And I'm telling you, I recognize that even for you to come to church today, there was a level of suffering. And in that level of suffering, there will be a level of change. Amen? 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 Amen. Amen. <laughs> then Ananias, Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, when, we, when, when, when I do altar calls and I invite folks to come up to the altar and I lay hands on and I pray for them, I'm not doing that for a religious reason or a ritualistic reason reason I'm doing it from a biblical anointed reason as God prompts my heart because I know that through living and obeying the word of God that real change can take place I know that healing can take place I know that a transferring of the Holy Spirit can take place I know that scales can be removed from the eyes I know that addictions can be broken I know that folks could be set free I know that deliverance is possible and probable by the laying on of hands. Who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. He has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes 
Do you see that? By the laying of hands on Saul, there were something like scales that fell from his eyes. Do you know that God has a perspective that even the worst person, God can remove the scales from their eyes and they can see their entire life from a different perspective. You know, I work in the optical industry and I know that folks, when they hit sometimes around the 60th age, 60 years of age in that ballpark, they start to accumulate cataracts. And those are calcium deposits that accumulate over the years on the lens behind the eye. And they sometimes have to do cataract surgery when it gets strong enough because that cataract is blocking the light from entering into the eye. And the ophthalmologist will use a couple blips of a laser and remove those calcium deposits on the lens so that the light can come into the eye. It's not that the light was never there all around. The light was always there. The light just never entered into the eye. And there are some folks that have scales on their eyes. And when God removes those scales, the person will change. They will change. And one of the most frustrating things is when I see patients come into the office and they want glasses and they use their insurance and they pay out of pocket and they go through all this effort to get these glasses and put these glasses on their face and after they're done, they still can't see. Because it's not the glasses, it's the scales. It's the lens is clouded. And you can put all the glasses you want and it's not going to help. It's not going to hurt, but it's not going to help. And folks live their whole life with cataracts, spiritual cataracts, and they're spending money on all the glasses, doing all their own efforts, doing everything that they can to improve their life, improve their vision, and nothing that they do changes their situation. It's because there is something internal that needs to be removed from God. And I'll tell you, when God does that spiritual cataract surgery, the grass looks greener, the sky looks bluer, pastor looks more loving. Something changes. I always said this, you know, I, I posted this on Facebook that I, I really, I always knew my pastor was not perfect. I always knew he was not a perfect man. But I was too busy learning everything from him. Too busy receiving his gift of pastoralship. I was too busy loving him to pay attention to his imperfections. And I think that's how we ought to be, is get the gifts from our brothers and sisters while we can, Amen. while they're still here with us. Because I'm not promised to be here. I'm not Some folks will take me for granted into thinking, oh, pastor's always going to be here. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm here for a short moment. So get all the getting while the getting is good before the Lord takes me home. 
When I'm gone, whatever was said was said. Amen. And you'll still have to move forward just the way that I did when my pastor went home. Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And this is my last point, folks. My last point. Through Christ, we can change and improve spiritually mentally, emotionally, physically, and financially. And I am a witness of that, folks. I have experienced spiritual improvement, mental improvement, emotional improvement, physical improvement, and financial improvement through God. See, some folks think because they're once poor, always going to be poor. They think that or they think because they have these mental uh, struggles, they struggle with fear or with anxiety or with stress or, or, or they struggle emotionally with jealousy, with envy, with all these emotional uh, rampantness. Or they feel like there's physical struggles that they have in their body. Or they feel like there's financial struggles. And they feel like because they have these things, they're always going to be with them. I'm telling you, it's not true. There, you, can, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens. I feel, you know, folks, if you know me, I used to be about 40-some pounds fatter. And this ain't a, a, a shame the fat people day. But I'm just saying, I was like uh, chubby. Right. I was pleasantly plump. I had more love to love on to. And I'll tell you that as I gained more weight, it was harder to, to do the weed whacking. It was harder to tie my shoes. It was harder to do all these things. And I thought, well, this was the way I was going to be for the rest of my life. I was surrounded by family members and people. They're like, well, you're just you can't lose weight. I was surrounded by people and 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 bless my family. But I got some Italian family members. Man, they like to eat. You know, when you go over there, grandma's going to feed you double time. And you can't, you are insulting her if you do not eat her food. It is considered disrespectful. And, and I'll tell you, there are folks that they will tell you you'll never change. They told me, oh, you know, you can't lose weight. It can't happen. And guess what happened? I had a, a, a chaplain from Belmont Prison lay hands on me. He prayed over me that I would lose weight. And I lost weight. I lost over 40 pounds. And, 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 and so, I, so God is showing me that it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been in a certain circumstance. You can change. If you want to gain weight, you can gain weight. If you want to lose weight, you can lose weight. If you want God to put his hands on your finances, he can put his hands on your finances. Their part of life is changing. Amen. There were people that knew me. There was a long time I didn't have a car and they just knew me as the carless preacher. Now, there goes that carless preacher. We got to go pick him up. And even after I bought a car, they still went to come and pick me up because their, their mindset of them knowing me was stuck as a carless preacher. 
And I'm like, I don't need you to pay. I got a car. I'll, I'll meet you there. No, that's cool. I'll come pick you up. They just thought that I was always going to be a carless preacher. You see, people around you, they will have an image of you in their mind, and they will lock you. They will lock you into certain circumstances, certain situations, and they will lock you for life. They will, it's easier for them to cope with you to be labeled in this permanent position. And that's not the way God, part of life is changing. Amen? Chosen to change. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, what are all things? Well, it's just talking about spiritual. Well, it's just talking about emotional. Well, it's just talking about physical. Well, it's just talking about financial. All things means all things. That means your entire life, every aspect of it, mental, emotional, physical, financial, your entire life, every aspect of your life can be changed in Christ. Do you understand that? For the good. Amen? For the good. And sometimes we have to surround ourselves by different folks. Because there are some folks, they will hold you just like Ananias tried to hold Saul into that. Well, you don't know this man. He had the authority to execute people and put them in. See, you, some folks, you're surrounded by Ananiases. And you need to break from them Ananiases. You see, because what happened to Hadessa? She was a poor Jew. Right? Hadessa. Once Hadessa, always Hadessa. And then Hadessa became Queen Esther. Right? Simon, once a Simon, always a Simon. Simon became Peter. Right? Saul became Paul. They were chosen to change. And God is no respecter. No respecter of persons. Strong to be a Christian church. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me.